Before we begin, don't forget that if you want to hear this episode ad-free, then sign up to our members channel. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes. Members will get exclusive access to all episodes of Smoking Gun, completely ad-free, before anyone else. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The town of Munter located in South Australia, has earned the moniker Little Cornwall due to its rich history of copper mining, reminiscent of the English county. Situated on the York Peninsula, the town's name is thought to have originated from an Aboriginal term meaning thick scrub place, as the roads leading out of Munter are lined with dense shrubs. On Tuesday the 19th of September in the year 2000, police were making that very journey out of the town's small centre and between the thick shrubs. The Australian-made Holden Commodore police car that day was in no hurry. It was a normal patrol for the laid-back cops behind the wheel. They chatted about their weekends as the long road ahead stretched out beyond the horizon. But a few minutes out of the town, they saw a broken-down car. It was a Toyota Cressida, a silver sedan. Unusually, it looked abandoned. There was no driver hailing for assistance. They pulled up right behind the car and radioed in its registration. One of the cops went to take a look. As he did so, the radio hissed. The car they were looking at was of interest. The voice down the line explained that they'd received an urgent missing persons report the day before. Two women with violence suspected. The Toyota they were looking at had gone missing alongside them. The officer still in the car called out to his colleague. He advised caution and got out to assist. As they peered into the side window, they saw no movement. There was no person inside, no driver, no victim. They made their way around the vehicle, towards its rear. There they saw something that was more than suggestive violence had occurred. On the exterior of the car's boot, in fact on the registration plate too, the officers noticed what looked like streaks of blood. Neither officer had imagined such a scene as they set off on patrol that morning in sleepy rural Munter. They called it in. Only minutes later, Seasoned crime scene investigator Michael Heath arrived. 
The road was taped off, and he started to inspect the Toyota's interior. There, he discovered blood-stained towels, a fencing post, bedding, jewellery, and a steak knife. Curiously, though, none of these items would be the smoking gun that would solve a violent crime. Propped up, inside the boot, was something Michael Heath at first paid little attention to. Amongst the blood-stained bedclothes, the sight of a shovel didn't at first register as significant. But it was more than significant. In fact, the shovel and the accompanying traces of soil would prove vital in resolving a heinous double murder. My name is Romola Gary, and I'm an actress who's always been fascinated by how criminal cases are solved, the amazing processes that go on behind the scenes, the clues that clinch the case. And my name is Tracy Alexander. I'm the president of the British Academy of Forensic Sciences. I've spent years inside these processes, searching for those clues. I've dedicated my career to using science to help the course of justice. And my work has ensured that hundreds of criminals have gone to prison and the wrongly accused go free. Together, we're going to lift the lid on some of the most extraordinary cases from around the world. We'll discover how, with the help of science, everyday items have become the key to catching a killer. From What's the Story Sounds, this is Smoking Gun. The Shovel. Matthew Holding was always very close with his dad. Barry would involve him in everything he did. They lived as a family in the Adelaide suburb of Oakbank. The town was remote. Only about 450 people lived there. They were a tight-knit community, brought together by their love of the town's famous export, Johnston's Family Cordial. In the 1990s, when Matthew was a youngster, Barry took him to the local Oakbank quarry. Up in the Adelaide Hills, Oakbank quarry supplied different coloured sands to garden centres, local and further afield. It was busy when open, but if you knew it well, as Barry Holding did, you'd know there were times when activity stopped. On one hot summer's day, he needed that information. He was looking to dispose of some old tyres he'd removed from his family car. He saw it as an opportunity to bond with his son Matthew. He called into his son's room and asked for help. They lugged the tyres into the back of their car and made the short drive to the Oak Bank Quarry. They parked up and kept a lookout, waiting to make sure nobody was there. It was exciting for young Matthew, an adventure with his dad, one he would remember for the rest of his life. In the year 2000, on September the 18th, Barry Holding came home from work. His house was usually busy. His now 22-year-old son, Matthew, still lived at home, along with Barry's wife, Ying, and his mother-in-law, Chun Mi Nyung. As the key to his front door turned, he was struck by the silence coming from inside. Someone was usually cooking or pottering around, or the TV would usually be on in the background. 
Maybe they'd gone out, he thought to himself. But as the front door swung open, his heart began to race. His attention was drawn to what appeared to be fragments of glass in the lounge. It looked like there'd been a struggle. He called out to his wife. No response. Then his mother-in-law. Again, nothing. Finally, he called out to his son, Matthew. When no answer came the third time, he dropped his work backpack, put down his keys and started to inspect the house. He was in a real panic. As well as the shards of broken glass, which stared up at him from the living room carpet, Barry noticed what looked like blood. He paced to the bathroom. There he saw a few of the towels were missing. He called out once more just to check. Nothing. So he went next to his son's room. As he gazed inside, he noticed Matthew's bedsheets were missing. At this point, his mind was racing with questions. Had they been robbed? Had his family been kidnapped? No, perhaps it wasn't as bad as that. Maybe his family had gone to the police station after a minor scuffle. He tried to calm himself. He took the phone off the wall and dialed triple zero, the number for the Australian police. As its dial tones rang out, Barry looked out the window into his back garden. He noticed his wife's car was gone, her silver Toyota Cressida. The town of Munta is located about 150 kilometres northwest of Oakbank. It's a long drive down straight, dusty roads with few oncoming cars. Whoever was in control of Ying Holdings' Toyota Cressida on the 18th of September would have driven that exact route. Less than 24 hours later, Michael Heath found his day dominated by the search of that car. It had been found abandoned by officers on a regular patrol just outside the small peninsula town. Blood was found on the vehicle's exterior. Inside were blooded towels and bedsheets, along with a knife, a soiled shovel and a pair of walking boots, also coated in a dusty soil. Michael didn't need his years of experience to know a crime had likely taken place. So he diligently photographed the scene. One by one, he took the items of interest and placed them in evidence bags. As he picked up the towels, he turned them over. On the side now facing him, he noticed what appeared to be grass staining. This time his experience helped. He deduced that the towels could have been used to drag a body to the car. As he carefully rummaged through the car's contents, he noticed a pile of sticks. Maybe enough to get a fire going. Whatever had led the car to being there in that state was not good. The next thing he thought he'd be looking at was human remains. 22-year-old Matthew Holding wandered the quiet streets of Moontar. It was midday. The sun was cool as the Australian spring was commencing. But most of the town's residents were at work. He was looking for help. His car had broken down just a couple of miles outside town. Calmly, he made his way into a local store to ask for help. The customer assistant was polite, but couldn't assist. As he made his way out of the store, a couple of police officers noticed him. 
in such a small town, it was unusual to spot someone they didn't recognise. One of them inquired, Everything all right, son? Matthew explained his predicament. His car had broken down on the road into Moontar, and he was looking for a mechanic. In fact, anyone who could help. That presented a problem for Matthew. The officers he was speaking to had been listening in to radio calls all day about an abandoned vehicle that had been reported stolen and had bloodstains throughout. What car is it you have, son? the officer asked. The response confirmed their suspicions. A silver Toyota. The next time the officer spoke, he uttered the words, Matthew, you're under arrest. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed for you. The interview room at Adelaide Police Station was bleak. It was windowless and painted a dull grey. Matthew sat there alone, looking pensive and awaiting further contact from police. The door squeaked open. In stepped two detectives, smartly dressed, looking stern. They took a seat, pressed record on the tabletop tape recorder and proceeded with some questions. Each one was met with silence. Matthew didn't say a word. Detectives had come to an understandable conclusion. The amount of blood, the knife in the car, the scene at the house in Oakbank, all clues hinted at homicide. Matthew Holding was charged. Two counts of murder. Intuition was backed up by strong circumstantial evidence. But in truth, it wouldn't be enough for a court of law. What's more, there was every chance the victims may not in fact be dead. Matthew's silence persisted. The hunt was on for answers to the puzzling predicament detectives found themselves in. As Matthew sat silently in custody, the exhibits from the car made their way back to South Australia Police's forensic labs. They were shortly followed by crime scene investigator Michael Heath. He perused each item carefully. He looked up at the small digital clock on his desk side, fully aware of the situation. They needed to locate Ying Holding and her mother, Chun Min Yong, as soon as possible. The case against Matthew relied on it. Perhaps their lives depended on it. Michael stretched out a pair of black nitrile disposable gloves, squeezed his hands in and picked up the shovel. He moved in close, examining the handle, but no ideas came to mind. As he carefully inspected every inch of the shovel, a thought arrived. To the adept detective, the soil on the head of the shovel looked unusual. For one thing, the backside looked compacted, as if it had been used to compress earth down. The other noticeable feature was the colour. It wasn't dark and brown, the colour of standard gardening topsoil. No, the dirt on the shovel in Michael's hands was lighter in colour. Could it be roadwork soil, he thought? 
There was no reason why Matthew, or in fact anybody from the holding family, would have been digging by the side of a road. It was suspicious. But there were more than 150 kilometres of road between Oakbank and Munta. The thought of searching an area that size was frankly implausible. A report had come in claiming a Toyota had been spotted in a cemetery in Munta, but a search showed no signs of a recent grave, no signs of bodies being moved. Meanwhile, Matthew remained tight-lipped. The race was on. If his mother and grandmother's bodies were in fact buried, then decomposition could wreak havoc on the investigation. The Crown pathologist had insisted on matching their wounds to the blood-stained knife in order to pursue the charge. Michael Heath, the crime scene investigator, sat at his desk, head in hands. He was desperate to find some clue to crack the case. As he sat there, his mind kept returning to the contents on the end of the shovel. It seemed crucial. He didn't know how, but he had little else to go on. He picked up the phone and called Barry Holding, the husband and son-in-law of the missing woman. The detective wanted to know if there was anywhere with lighter coloured soil that Barry could think of that Matthew may have deposited the bodies. Somewhere Matthew knew. It was a tough question to hear. But Barry racked his brains. He ummed and ahed down the line. Then, a thought. Years earlier, he had taken Matthew to the Oak Bank Quarry to dispose of some tyres. He remembered his son being fascinated by the area. It was a long shot, but maybe that could be the place. As it turned out, a separate report had come in from the police's appeal to the public. A Toyota had indeed been spotted at the Oak Bank Quarry. It was something. Detectives arrived at the quarry in large numbers. They began to scrutinise every inch of it for signs of a recent grave, for signs perhaps of a struggle, but to no avail. What's more, they found the quarry to be active. There was a constant and steady flow of workers operating excavators, digging through the multicoloured sand. Common sense would suggest it would be a sub-optimal location to dispose of human remains. The risk seemed too high. Police needed a scientific reason to continue the search of Oakbank Quarry. Out of desperation, Michael Heath picked up the phone once more. He flicked through the local phone book and found a number for the Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organisation, or the CSIRO for short. He had a peculiar request for the operator on the end of the line. He was looking for a soil expert. Someone who could analyse the material found on the shovel in the back of the Toyota. Was there a way that that analysis could point to a specific location where the shovel might have been used? Ready to pop the question? The jewellers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The operator patched through the call to Dr. Rob Fitzpatrick a professor in soil science or pedology. At the very least, he may be able to ascertain whether such work could be done. Dr Fitzpatrick had just finished lunch when his phone rang. He dropped his sandwich back into the bin in the corner of his office and wandered across to the phone at a leisurely pace. The person on the other line seemed altogether more frantic. Michael Heath explained the situation. Dr Fitzpatrick pondered. He couldn't make any promises, but he would definitely take a look. Detectives couriered the relevant exhibits to the CSIRO labs as quickly as the phone hit the hook. Dr Fitzpatrick got straight to work. He set about by closely examining the shovel and the boots found in the car. Using the Munsill colour notation chart, he compared the soil samples. From that, he was able to establish that the fine coatings of dirt on the boots had a similar matrix pink colour to the soil adhered to the shovel. This was indicative of the fact that they were likely to have originated from the same source, or at least the same area. With the aid of a stainless steel spatula, the soil from the shovel was taken for further characterisation. Under a microscope, using LED light sources, Dr. Fitzpatrick photographed the soil in a glass petri dish. He observed a clayey, coarse texture with large amounts of quartz gravel particles which had angular shapes and conchoidal surface fractures typical of deeply weathered saprolite rock found at depth. While he concluded the soil on the shovel and the boots had a similar origin, he proposed that the sample from the shovel was found deeper beneath the surface the soil was moist to wet. Next, Dr Fitzpatrick analysed the acid content and found it had a pH of around 4.7. Then, he ground down the samples using a mortar and pestle. The resultant fine powders were lightly pressed into aluminium sample holders for X-ray diffraction analysis. He plotted the results on a graph. The mineralogical composition indicated dominant quartz, subdominant well-crystalline kaolinite, minor muscovite with traces of feldspar and talc. In other words, it was likely the soil from the shovel originated from subsurface kaolinite-rich weathered zones, such as a mining area or a quarry. The analysis of the soil found on the shovel was sufficient for comparison. The next step for Dr Fitzpatrick and his team was to find the possible origin location of said soil. They'd arrived at the conclusion 
that the soil on the shovel was not natural. The absence of organic plants, or matter, allowed them to classify the soil as human-made. The team at the CSIRO had access to something called the Australian Soil Resource Information System. Essentially, a complicated set of colour-coded maps of Australia that comprised unparalleled soil datasets. Once they could codify and classify the soil on the shovel, they could contrast it with the maps. Right away, the scientists were able to confidently say that the source of the soil was not the York Peninsula, where both the abandoned car and Matthew Holding had been found. As they cross-referenced their maps, they saw that the soil was generally alkaline in that part of the state. Instead, the investigation landed much closer to home. Taking into consideration the time window Matthew Holding had, Dr Fitzpatrick landed on one specific region that matched the soil sample he'd gathered from the shovel, the Adelaide Hills, home to the Oakbank Quarry. Finally, a scientific reason to continue their search at the quarry. The team of pedologists ostensibly landed on a narrow set of characteristics describing where the soil could have originated. A gravel quarry, such as Oak Bank, and more specifically, in a waterlogged area. Dr Fitzpatrick was even able to directly contrast the soil from the quarry with the sample from the shovel. Using X-ray diffraction analysis, he tested the gravel from the quarry. It was a match suggestive of the fact that the missing women may have been buried there. For the team of detectives gathered in the Adelaide Police Station breakout room, it was a moment to celebrate. But it was brief. Despite landing on a match, detectives had new issues, elements that were out of their control to contend with. Typical of the Adelaide area in September, the rain had scarcely let up. The mechanical excavator employed to hasten the search would be useless in such poor conditions. Time was ticking on, and progress wasn't being made. The situation was further complicated by the fact that the continued operation of the quarry meant there were track marks all over the place, concealing any potential clues left by someone depositing the bodies. But Dr Fitzpatrick was adamant that detectives would find the bodies there. In fact, he specified over a phone call they would find the bodies near a particular pool of water at the Oakbank site. They just needed to be patient and keep the faith. Red foxes were introduced to Australia by colonialists as early as 1833. They were initially brought over to be used in fox hunting. But fast forward almost two centuries and the species had expanded to a population of over 7 million. On Monday the 9th of October in the year 2000, a skulk of red foxes Exploring the Oakbank Quarry in the Adelaide Hills of southern Australia uncovered a human hand. As it happened, the weather had dried up sufficiently for the excavators to start digging again, in the search for Ying Holding and Chung Mi Nyung. 
Owing to the work of Dr Fitzpatrick, detectives were present and ready. One of them noticed the foxes busying themselves and called for assistance. The excavation uncovered the body of Chon Mi Nyong. Her remains were found within metres of the pool of water, identified by Dr Fitzpatrick and his team. The next day, the body of Ying Holding was found, 50 metres away. The news was devastating to Barry Holding. Not only had he lost his wife and mother-in-law, he also had to come to terms with the fact that his son had likely been responsible. Police transported the women's bodies from the rural Oakbank area 30 minutes west. They made their way into central metropolitan Adelaide, where, waiting patiently, was a team of forensic pathologists. Their examination found that Matthew Holding's grandmother had died as a result of stab wounds to the neck. His mother had been stabbed and then bludgeoned to death with a fencing post found in the back of the abandoned Toyota. Throughout the entirety of the police's investigation, Matthew Holding had remained silent. His dark, dank, six-by-eight-foot prison cell had done little to prompt a desire to confess to the crimes. Detectives walked the long, narrow corridor to his cell. As they arrived outside, they stopped and knocked on the door, informing Matthew that they had some information they wished to share. The investigation had finally come together, and Matthew had nowhere left to turn. Back in the windowless interrogation room, realising that the walls were closing in on him, his resolve finally gave way. Holding explained that he had snapped. His grandmother had told him off for smoking after he asked her for a cigarette. His shocking reaction was swift and brutal. Sat across from the officers, Matthew explained to them how he had stormed into the kitchen in a rage before grabbing a steak knife from the knife rack and rushing back into the living room where he slit his unsuspecting grandmother's throat. He barely had time to take in the gravity of what he'd done before he was attacked by his mother, who had attempted to intervene. He overpowered her with relative ease and slit her throat too, before bludgeoning her to death with a fencing post. Collapsing in a heap on the living room floor, covered in the blood of two generations of his family, he attempted to regain his composure before his fight-or-flight response kicked in again. He jumped to his feet and began covering his tracks. Hiding the bodies of his mother and grandmother in his Toyota Cressida before driving to the Oakbank Quarry and burying both of them in shallow graves. There was no doubt Matthew was suffering with serious mental disorders. After conducting an extensive interview with him, a psychiatrist diagnosed Matthew with schizophrenia and explained in his report that Holding was delusional and had recurrent psychotic episodes a situation that was being exacerbated by his frequent drug use. Despite the mitigating circumstances, ones which would see many defendants opt to pursue the insanity defence, 
Matthew pleaded guilty to the charge of murder and took full responsibility for his actions. The work undertaken by the CSIRO and Dr Fitzpatrick was truly groundbreaking. It led to the resolution of a particularly challenging and brutal double murder without the need for a long, drawn-out trial. With no bodies, there was every chance a jury would not be convinced beyond reasonable doubt that Matthew Holding was responsible. A murder case without the bodies, without any confession from Matthew Holding, may have been impossible to bring to trial in the first place. Dr Fitzpatrick's team did vital work to advance the discipline of forensic soil science. His team would go on to establish the Adelaide-based Centre for Australian Forensic Soil Science, which has advised in over 20 other cases involving murder and even terrorism investigations. Matthew Holding was sentenced to life imprisonment with an 18-year non-parole period. But in addition to the significance of closing this case, Dr Fitzpatrick's pioneering work created a new discipline, forensic soil science. His team would go on to establish the Adelaide-based Centre for Australian Forensic Soil Science, which has advised in over 20 other cases involving murder and even terrorism investigations. Matthew Holding was sentenced to life imprisonment with an 18-year non-parole period. Smoking Gun is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's narrated by me, Romola Gary, and by me, Tracy Alexander. Executive producers for What's the Story Sounds are Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis. The series is supported by the British Academy of Forensic Sciences. Their work supports the international fight to improve forensic techniques, to share ideas, and develop the crime-solving scientific advances of the future. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give it a rating and review, and help to spread the word. You can listen to a new episode of Smoking Gun every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you want to listen to all episodes right now, you can find them completely ad-free on our subscription channel, What's the Story Crime. On there, you'll also get exclusive access to a whole bunch of bonus interviews led by me, where I speak to some of the most experienced and skilled forensic scientists from around the world and find out more about what they do. Those interviews are only available on What's the Story Crime. There's also a whole range of brilliant true crime content all made by the same team. You can check out The Missing, with more than 60 episodes all about long-term missing people, 
which invites you to try and help solve the case. You'll also find exclusive series like Jigsaw, true crime investigations like 900 Degrees, and incredible stories told over several parts. Whatever you're into, if you enjoy listening to Smoking Gun, we're sure you'll find your next must-listen podcast on What's the Story Crime. Signing up is really easy. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just search for What's the Story Crime, subscribe, and you'll get all your favourite shows ad-free. For listeners on Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or any other platform, all you need to do is click the link in our show notes or visit www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime. Your subscription helps to ensure we can keep making more of the content you love. And it costs just 3 pounds per month.